If you have your Bibles today, turn to Ephesians 5, or if you don't have your Bibles, look on the screen and trust me that I typed it out correctly. Either one of those probably works. I recommend, though, you bring your Bibles. I'm capable of totally going astray. Ephesians chapter 5, two verses, verse 13 and 14. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible or that is made visible or illumined is enlightened. Therefore, it says, uh, and the, uh, the actual Greek rendering here in the, in the original text is a continual tense. It is still saying, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We've been talking about light in this passage and what light does and that we're called to be the light. And I want to just do have two points basically this morning. One is what we are to do as light, that's in verse 13, we're to make things visible. And then how do we become light? That's in verse 14, by being awake, rising from the dead, and letting Christ shine on us. So those are my two points. So what, what does it mean to be light? to make things visible? What does that look like? Uh, I think the idea here is that as Christians, we are to awaken to our nature as a Christian, our identity and calling. I don't think that it means that we are to embarrass people, point fingers, ridicule, but that we are to be redemptive and productive and useful in showing people the way out of their bondage. Uh, When he says here in verse 13, when anything is exposed or rebuked or made visible by light, it becomes illumined. Uh, That same word is used in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 24, when he says concerning prophecy, if an unbeliever is is in our presence in a church service, then he is exposed or convicted. And And he says the secrets of his heart are opened up, brought to the light, and so falling on his face, he worships God and says, God really is among you. God is here. In other words, the unbeliever, when his heart is exposed, when the light shines, the effect is to be he worships God and acknowledges God is with you. He, the effect is not to be, oh boy, that guy's a jerk. That's not to be the effect. But the effect that of light is that we are shining the light in such a way as they understand only God can meet that need. Um, there was a teenager from Fenton, 
Some of you may know the family, I don't know, but uh, I think he attended Linden High School. This was back in November uh, and was a homosexual, and he committed suicide. Uh, His parents, at least this was in the paper, said it was the result of bullying. Uh, Now, they did not say that Christians were involved in the bullying. Now, I want to say no Christian should have any part in anything like that. What a sad period for those parents. So no Christian should ridicule and embarrass or bully. Now, at the same time, though, I want to also say that we as a church, we did not invent guilt or shame. This is not our idea. Uh, because I say that because there are some people who believe that if the church would just shut up and not preach about God and judgment and sin and that these are guilt-producing messages. And I think there are cases where it's so. But the church's call to be light does not bring guilt It reveals the guilt and points it to the solution. It is like saying to the doctor, Doctor, don't diagnose me with cancer. That way, I won't have to worry about it. The diagnosis does not give you the cancer. It only reveals it so you can get a remedy. Can I sit here an amen on this? I mean, this is we're light. We're the light. We're not the judge, we're the light. And so we reveal the flaws. And the idea here, especially in uh, verse uh, 13, when something is illumined by the light, it thus becomes visible. In the first century, the shops in which you would go and buy your wares, they had no, they were so closed up, these little villages, they were so closed up, they had no windows on the side, so there's no natural light coming in, and so you had to take the item out into the sunshine, out into the light in order to look at it, and then you would see if it had its flaws or whether it was valuable enough or whether you wanted to purchase it or not. And that is what the light does. It, 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 It illumines the thing. It doesn't make it one way or another. It illumines it. Now, there is a wonderful verse of Scripture for the church to remember, and it comes in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11. Uh, We've put this up here for you, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. And here's what it says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolater, nor the adulterer, 
nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy people, nor drunkards, nor revilers. And that a reviler means a complainer, a grumbler. He's always grumbling about the government. <laughs> I threw that in there because I knew that would zing some of you. Uh, or swindlers. Uh, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I have a feeling that all of us or most of us would probably fit in this list somewhere. I won't have you stand when your category is called. <laughs> or, maybe, <laughs> or maybe you just stand and I'll go through the whole category. I'm in all of them. Maybe that's your testimony. But look at this test, look at this list. Now, the, the verse that is so beautiful here, verse, verse 11 says, and such were some of you. Notice the past tense. You can go to heaven on a past tense. Such were some of you. Some of you were sexually immoral, but not now. What? You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit. Some of you were idolaters. You were adulterers, but not now. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Some of you were practicing homosexuality, but not now. Such were some of you. See, there are those who say... you. If you're a homosexual, you were born that way, you can't ever change. It's like saying if you're an adulterer, you're, you're, you're born that way, you can't ever change. If you're a thief, you were born that way, you can't ever change. If you're greedy, no matter what it is, what sin it is, you were born that way, you can't ever change. I want you to know that through the power of the gospel and the power of the risen Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit, you can change because He can change you. That is the church's unique witness. Who else will say that? Who else can say that? Who else believes it? The church has this marvelous stewardship that no other organization or entity in the earth has. And that is we have a gospel that truly changes lives. Such were some of you, but you are washed, and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit. See... Jesus does not come to embarrass you. He comes to cover you. There is in the Old Testament the, the special festival day called Yom Kippur. Uh, it, translated Day of Atonement. It's Yom is day, and Kippur means to cover or to atone for. Uh, they would sound a shofar, a ram's horn, once a year. Oh, you can't hardly make that out, but that's what that is on the left there. Leviticus 16.34, it is an everlasting statute to you to make atonement. Kippur is the Hebrew word. For the children of Israel, for all their sins that you do once a year. 
Once a year, they had this day of atonement where you come in and you had the lamb that was slain and the high priest would confess all the sins of Israel over this sacrifice and it was called the day of atonement or covering. All your sins were covered for the past year. It was a picture of Calvary and the cross and Christ being the lamb that takes away the sin of the world because his blood and his sacrifice covers our sins as that would as God would accept a covering for the year his covers us for eternity the the word that is used there for atonement Leviticus 16:34 it's a to make atonement kippur is used in Genesis 6:14 when it says that Noah covered the ark with pitch kippur he covered it a tar and just covered. In fact, it, it's literally he kippured it with kippur, covered it with a covering, pitched it with pitch, tarred it with tar, however you want to translate it. But the idea is that it was just covered over so water couldn't penetrate because that water was God's judgment on the world. And that water could not penetrate because it was covered There's only, uh, if you backed up in Genesis 3.21, you would find that it says that when Adam and Eve sinned, it says that they were naked and they fled from God and covered themselves with fig leaves. Now, God didn't produce that guilt and shame. There was no church to produce that guilt and shame and hiding and fear. That was the result of their sin and inward sense that the glory is gone and I'm exposed. And so they ran and got fig fig leaves and tried to cover up. And God came and here's what it says, Genesis 3.21. The Lord made coats. Kothnot is the Hebrew word which means a robe. He made robes of animal skins and clothed them. He said, get the fig leaves off and let's cover you with a robe. I think some of the versions have a coat, but the word means a robe. Genesis 3.21, the Lord made a a robe of animal skins. He He had to shed blood to do it. The only other time in Genesis that word for robe is used is Joseph's robe of many colors in Genesis 37.3. Where Jacob, Joseph's father, made a robe of many colors. The idea is that God didn't just come and kill an animal and put a, a fur over their shoulder. No, he made, he embroidered this beautiful robe that totally covered them from top to bottom in a beautiful covering that symbolized and pictured Jesus Christ's robe of righteousness. That's why Isaiah 61 and 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, and my soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. 
He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. A robe is not something that grows out of you. It's something that is placed upon you. In Luke 15, 22, the father said concerning the prodigal, he turned to his servant and said, he has come home, bring forth the best robe and put on him. The righteousness of Christ that is put on us and covers us is the best robe. But how do we know we're naked? How do we know that we need a robe? How, why don't we just cover ourselves in fig leaves? And why do we know that there are flaws? And it is because light comes, you see, and exposes the nakedness, not to embarrass you, but in order that you may seek covering. That is why the light comes. It is actually to save you embarrassment. It is light in order to show your need of covering, not light in order to make fun of your nakedness. I read this story some time ago of a guy who, every Mother's Day, he he was a successful businessman and he'd always get his mother some kind of unique gift. He finally ran out of ideas and so he didn't know what to do and he came across these two exotic birds and man these things could they could sing they could dance and they could talk just like a person he said man I gotta have those and they were five thousand dollars each so the guy coughed up the money bought both of them and shipped them off to his mother who lived in another state he was so excited he called her the next day he said mom So, did you get the birds? She said, yes, I did. She said, well, what did you think of them? She said, oh, they was good. And he goes, Mom, you you didn't eat those birds. Those birds could sing and dance and talk. And she said, well, they they should have said something. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is the way Christians are. We should say something. We should shine the light because it's not going to come from anywhere else. That is our unique calling and assignment. Now, what, what does it take for us to become this, this light bringer? Verse 14. If it becomes visible, it's enlightened. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here's three things. Let me give you these, and we're done. To shine the light, to be the light bringer, not to embarrass, but to cover. We need to be, first of all, awakened from our sleep. Awake, O sleeper. That's one thing. Number two, we need to be resurrected from the dead. And number three, we need to have Christ shine upon us. And let's look at these one at a time. As Christians, to be a light bringer, we need to first of all Awake from our sleep and our carnal slumber. 
It is possible for Christians to just be sleepy spiritually and not be alert to catch opportunities and urgencies of the day. You remember in Judges chapter 16 when it says that Samson, oh, what a mighty man of God. He chased the Philistines. He would kill a lion with his bare hands. He, he was a tremendous man of God in the book of Judges. But he fell in love with a prostitute named Delilah. In Judges 16, verse 19 and 20, it says that she made him sleep on her lap. He lay his head on her knees, and when he did that, she cut his hair, the symbol of his strength, and it says that Samson got up and shook himself, but he did not know the Lord had departed from him. In sleep, we don't realize what we are losing. That's when the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. That's when they break in and take what is yours and take what is your privileges and joys and values and treasures is while we are asleep. The Christian, he calls us to awake from sleep and be alert. The second thing he says is you need to rise from the dead. Now, the idea here most commentaries take from Ezekiel 37 where Israel was in bondage in Babylon and they thought they were finished and God takes Ezekiel out to this valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37, 11 through 14. And he says, Ezekiel, what do you see? And Ezekiel said, I see dried bones and I see people saying our hope is gone and we are cut off. We are like, we are so dead that the bones have become disconnected from each other and scattered all over the graveyard and our hope is lost. And God said to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, Lord, only you know. And he said, you begin to prophesy and call on the wind of the Spirit to come. And he began to do that. And it says that the bones began to shake and come together and they rose up as one man and became an exceeding mighty army. Now, the idea here is that there are Christians who've given up being productive, useful, fruit-bearing, light-giving Christians. And you need to know that God can raise you from the dead and set you on fire for Him. That no matter what your failure has been, you can be raised up and made part of His army and His kingdom. He will raise you up. You, you who say, my hope is gone, my fruit, my future is cut off, there is nothing left for me, I'm just now going to die and go to heaven. Hopefully I can make it to heaven. I want you to know that if God wanted you in heaven right now, He doesn't have any problem getting you there. He has left you here, which means you have an assignment, you have a purpose, you have a calling and you have an identity and that is to shine your light and be different from everybody around you. You are to bring hope and 
the gospel and Christ and life and joy and peace to those people who know you. That's why God left you here. God is not done. When he is done, you will know. Or maybe you won't know. You'll just be there. (laughs) Everybody will know but you. He says, awake from the dead. That's an interesting thing that he would address Christians as needing to be resurrected. Isn't it lost people who are dead in trespasses and sins? Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in trespasses and sins, but now you've been quickened by the power of Christ. The difference here in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 5 is Ephesians 2 is lost people. They don't raise themselves. Ephesians 5, he says, you rise from the dead. To the Christian, you have the ability in Christ to rise up. Now, that's the difference in chapter 2 and chapter 5. Chapter 2 is lost people. Chapter 5 is saved people. Chapter say, in chapter 5, saved people, are their will, their spirit-strengthened, anointed will is empowered to rise up. And that's why he addresses them. And some are, in their minds at least, dead and have no future and no hope for usefulness. And, God, and Paul says, yes, you do. There's one other one here. We need to awake, we need to rise from the dead, and third, we need to be enlightened by the living Christ. Christ will shine. I pointed out last week that this word, this Greek word for shine is epiphany. He will give you light on top of light. This probably comes from Paul quoting Numbers 6, 23, where the high priest says... This is the way you bless the children of Israel, saying to them, The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine up on you and be gracious to you. That's the high priestly blessing. Here, he substitutes for the Lord. He puts the word Christ because he is the Lord. And he says, Christ will bring you the blessing of the light of God's presence and favor. And he said, seek at the high priest, our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, seek before him new light, new blessing, new favor. This is what he calls us to. To arise from sleep, arise from death, and arise from darkness. You may have heard uh, this this, um, story, it's a, I assume it's a fairy tale, uh, Rip Van Winkle, written by Washington Irving in late about a guy in the late 1700s. One fall day, he is fed up with life and wanders off in the mountains with his dog. Rip Van Winkle begins to drink some liquor and sits down under a tree and falls asleep. And then when he awakens, it's morning, but he looks at his gun that he had and his his gun was all rusted over and his beard had grown over a foot long. His dog was nowhere to be found. He returns to his village only to find no one recognized him. His 
He discovered that his wife had died and many of his close friends died in what they called the Revolutionary War. King George III, the portrait in the town inn had been replaced by that of George Washington, the first president. He was also disturbed to find that another man was being called Rip Van Winkle also. And he went to find him and found that it was his little baby boy who had grown up. Rip Van Winkle had slept in the fairy tale for 20 years. And during that time, his wife had died, his children had grown, the Revolutionary War had been fought, Washington had become the president, and he'd slept through it all. God calls us as Christians to be fully engaged in the world, to feel its sorrows and celebrate its joys. He, the Holy Spirit does not want us to check out emotionally and spiritually and physically, but rather to face up to everything, to feel the lament and the bereavement when someone dies. When Jesus died on the cross, he wanted to feel the full impact of the wrath of God and refuse to take wine while he was on the cross. He would not be sedated in life or in death. I, I don't want to escape. I want to engage. In order to be fully engaged emotionally, I... I want to celebrate the joys. I want to see my children grow up. I want, I want to grieve at the loss of a loved one. I want to understand the world around me. The George Washington's become the president. He slept through it all. And what Jesus would do for us this morning is say, Hey, Rip. There's a lot of things going on, man. You need to wake up. A lot of things happening. And you need to be fully engaged and filled with the Spirit and a communicator and a conveyor and a host of the presence of God to the people around you. And that's what he calls us to. And there are people that only you can carry that light. Let us awake, be raised from the dead like Lazarus, and let us be enlightened by the Lord Jesus Christ. There are truths you do not yet know that will thrill your heart with his light.